Oh, hi there. Chalo. Hey now. Hola. And ba weep grana weep nanny bong. However you want to say it. Welcome to that Kev One Show. guest, well, you're in for a treat, because he's an award-winning author, political insider, and thespian extraordinaire that, that I first met on the set of The Librarians, where he played Abraham Lincoln. Please welcome the great Steve Holgate. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. I hardly recognize myself from uh, your intro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You have such gravitas and everything. I, I mean, you fit the bill for Abraham Lincoln fully, full on when I met you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I tell people, uh, you know, I'm tall and skinny and of a certain age, I tell people there's a reason I don't do Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I've, yeah, I've been doing the Lincoln program. I've got, uh, I wrote a, a couple of little pieces for myself. One was uh, a full-length two-act thing, and then I wanted something I could take uh, anywhere. I didn't need lights or sound or even a stage, just a few feet, and... Uh, uh, between the two of them, I've been doing it for, gosh, 24 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I used to be too young. Now I'm too old. For, for Lincoln? <laughs> yes, yeah. Although my wife still dyes my hair now, I, uh, I need it. It's, it's, it's gray. And, uh, but it's, it's a fun program to do, and it's a real responsibility because you're playing uh, a character that's so important to people. You, you really need to get it just as right as you can. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and you've been here 24 plus years, it sounds like. So, I mean, has, has Lincoln always kind of spoke to you, or was it just the resemblance? And then you first kind of led into it and learned more about him? Or how did you first get into that? Well, it was funny. I was in the Foreign Service, mm -hmm. and um, they let you retire at age 50 with 20 years in. And my wife wanted to uh, pick up her career again, and so we decided we would come home. And I thought, well, what'll I do? Uh, I was a theater major. I used to love theater. And uh, I suppose if I wrote a play for myself, nobody could refuse to cast me. And, uh, and a lot of people had said over the years, I, I'm not sure how well they meant this, but they told me I looked like Abraham Lincoln. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do a one-man show on Abraham Lincoln. So it's a little bit backwards. I, I first got the idea of doing a show and then decided on Lincoln. Uh, I'd always been a real Civil War buff ever since I was a little kid, and, and you know, knew a fair amount about Lincoln, so I had to do a bunch of research. I found uh, incidents in his life, speeches, of course, uh, letters, that I could uh, do in a one-man show where I wouldn't need to speak to anybody else or didn't have to be anybody else up on stage with me. So, so that's what I did. I put that together then. Oh, wow. And I know you were in a theater group, you told me, right? So...
and uh, yeah, no, true fact. And then in Albuquerque, New Mexico, they they uh, they one upped us. Uh, they threw us out. Uh, so <laughs> we were a little controversial. Now, what was also controversial about what you were doing for that? Well, it was that we used a lot of humor, and we also uh, these were fairly conservative churches, and we were poking pointed fun hmm. at the racism and sexism uh, and just narrowness that uh, any religion can take on. And, and uh, we were kind of speaking about them a little bit. Most people liked it. They would laugh and, and understood. We were kind of pointing our finger at them, but we did it in, uh, in a fairly gentle spirit. And, mm. and a lot of people kind of agreed with us that this is a problem for them. Other people were offended. Okay, so almost kind of like a roast kind of a little bit maybe, or...? Mm-hmm. Uh, we would do skits, and, um, and uh, well, here, here's an example. We would also have this uh, very sweet woman in the uh, cast come up and do what she called Word for the Day. And uh, this very conservative churches, they somehow had the notion that you should never have a musical instrument in church. All singing should be done a cappella. Oh, wow. My feeling is if you decide you want to do everything a cappella, that's fine. But, you know, don't try to make a sin or something out of having a... Uh, uh, instrument at church. Anyway, she got yeah. up there and said, yeah, um, uh, huh. you know, I can't, no, I, I take that one back. I can't remember all that, but, but she, they, they also, the sanctuaries, they just called it the auditorium, and at some point, I guess that's cool, you know, any place you can consider sacred. And so she gets up there and says, word for the day is, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the sanctuary, uh, a word for auditorium used by the godless Presbyterians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that always got a laugh. Yeah. Well, it was kind of along, it was kind of along the lines of ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the sort of thing we did. We had a a, a black friend in the cast, and uh, he they're they're praying to God, and he comes on, and uh, somebody looks at him and says, "Oh my God!" And he says, "That's right." Um, and some some had their noises uh, their noses out of joint over that one too, but we thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Oh my God! So that's what we did. Wow. And how did you get the how did you get the role of Honest Abe in Librarians? Did you just um, answer an ad, or do you have management go, "Hey, you're the guy. Uh, They're doing this." Neither. They, uh, as you will recall, mm-hmm. uh, there was a, a segment where they wanted to use some uh, Civil War reenactors mm-hmm. to uh, do a battle, and they said, "Oh, by the way, uh, we would like to do this scene where there's a parade and a guy." is addressed as Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Civil War reenactors, that's a group I've worked with a lot. I go to their events and do my Lincoln show. And they said, oh boy, we got the guy for you. And so that's how I uh, came to their attention and got the role. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fun. I got to meet you and some other yeah. fun people. Had a nice time. Yeah, I almost didn't get it. I got it. My management at the time was like trying to get, me, get it for me and stuff. Uh, playing uh-huh. a... Uh, was it General Carlton Loveday, or well, a reenactor? I run from the yeah. CGI ghost of the real Carlton Loveday in the story, but uh, I almost didn't get it because I, uh, my size thirteen feet uh, wouldn't fit in their whatever historically accurate whatever size they had a boot. Oh, for crying! Yeah, and then I was like, well, I could bring some, you know, this, and they t- looking at pictures and pictures, like, well, that could pass, you know. I mean, I'm almost thinking like now in hindsight. Well, I'm playing a reenactor. It's almost like I could have had Chuck Taylor's. It would have been funny almost. But but yeah. But uh, 
No, yeah, it all worked out. Yeah, I'm glad I met well, I'm you. Glad. And, I'm glad because yeah. you did a nice job, and I had fun meeting you uh, doing that. Um, and and I, you know, I, I understand the episode was well received, so we we all done good. Yeah, yeah. I, I with the right with the strike, I won't say what platform it's on, but yeah, I've got a lot of people notice me and digging it from that, and sounds like you did as well. Did you meet uh, any, yeah. Did you meet any of the cast, the main cast, like Rebecca Romaine or any of those people? Makeup chair. Uh, 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 Rebecca Romaine was the. She was the guest star. She was uh, one of the stars of the show. Uh, one of the um, blonde. Oh, she was like an X Men and stuff. Or oh yes, yes. Uh, no, I mostly chatted with the woman from Saturday Night Live. Who oh yeah. Saturday Night Live for several years, oh, and I yeah. and I were walking together in uh, this this parade. So of course there's a lot of downtime where we're standing there waiting for uh, the scene to shoot, and she was and she was really a delight to talk to. That was one of the highlights. Uh, yeah, I she's... didn't actually interact with any of the three main stars. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a super fun and experience. I guess you did. Oh yeah, they had to glue on this. Um, I had to shave my beard, which at least my beard now it looks like the beard I had then, the fake beard. But I had a beard that I shaved for them to put a fake beard on and uh, pin on a wig and some well, war cap. Yeah, so I'd be next to them. And and... They would have you shave your beard off so that you could put on a beard. Yeah, it's kind of me- I can't remember what my facial hair was, but I remember being kind of pissed at the time, like or annoyed, like oh, I gotta shave my facial. And then they they put on a full beard that's somewhat similar to my beard at the time, like okay. <laughs> and there was a colleague of ours in that scene who else had a fake mustache. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 in between shots, and it wasn't it wasn't anchored real well, oh. and so I would get him laughing. Oh. And, and, and his mustache would fall off. Oh, my god! I, I must say, I did it kind of on purpose after a while. Oh, really? Laugh, <laughs> and his mustache would fall off again. <laughs> but they always had it ready for the scenes. It was always, it was always in place by the time they started filming. Oh, my god! That's awesome. Man, so, like, it's so it's kind of ironic that you played Abe Lincoln when you've had such a political career. Because I know you served for several years as a legislative staffer for the United States Congress. Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was the job I enjoyed the most. You know, I was a foreign service officer, a diplomat for, for many years. That's the career I retired from. But I, I really enjoyed uh, working for the Congress. Uh, later on, <laughs> the Congress I worked for got itself diselected. <laughs> and uh, all of us on the staff realized, hmm, this may have been partly my fault. I could have done a better job, you know. <laughs> but I ended, up, <laughs> yeah, uh, I ended up working for the uh, Oregon State Senate. And at one, point, I, at one point, I called over to the Judiciary Committee because I wanted to know the uh, committee vote on a certain bill. You know, none of the legislators have time to read all these bills. Uh, most folks don't really understand that. They, you just you haven't got the time. And so if the bill is coming up on the floor, uh, you can read the summary, but it doesn't tell you very much. And so what you can do is you can call up the committee, ask what the committee vote was. And you know the people on the committee and those you tend to agree with, and their votes will tell you a lot about whether this is a bill you want to support or not. And so I called over there to the committee and uh, spoke to the uh, uh, council, chief counsel to the committee, uh, Ms. Genevosh. And I said, uh, Ms. Genevosh, uh, could you tell me the committee vote on Senate Bill 248 or whatever it was. And she politely replied, I haven't got time for that. If you want to find out what the committee vote was, you can go over here and look it up yourself. Whoa. Zowie. Yeah, Zowie. Well, 
is. I mean, as a friend of mine used to say, that was a slap in the face with the wet fish. But the bottom line on that is I ended up marrying her. Uh, oh, not, yeah. Not because of that incident, mind you. I'm not yeah. a physicist, uh, but in spite of it. <laughs> and she was just having a bad day later on. Oh. <laughs> she told me later on. So, I mean, uh, that was, if somebody had told me when I hung up the phone and was a little bit bitter, if somebody yeah. had told me that this was the woman I was going to marry, I'd have laughed them out oh. of the room. So, That's incredible. But I, I enjoyed that job, too. I enjoyed that a lot. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I, I retired from the Foreign Service because I always wanted to be a writer, and I knew that uh, I needed time. I, I couldn't just do it in an hour snatched here and there uh, from my work or just on a weekend. And uh, so I spent uh, I worked for embassies overseas for a number of years. I was with public affairs, uh, meaning I dealt with the press and uh, with exchange programs and universities, uh, and uh, sometimes in speakers, and on rare occasions we bring in an artistic group, and, uh, and, and that was enjoyable. I got to go to places at, at taxpayer expense. Uh, any taxpayers listening in know that I'm very, very grateful. I was always mindful that this wasn't my money. And, um, and, and the two great perks was I got to meet a lot of interesting people, hmm. and uh, got to go to places I never imagined I would go. I mean, <laughs> two years in Madagascar, I didn't oh know that one. Uh, a couple of years in Sri Lanka, four years in Morocco. Uh, those were all things I never imagined that uh, I would be doing. Jeez, uh, yeah. You said you went also into Mexico and, of course, Washington, D.C., yeah. right? Wow. Yeah, they made me go to Paris for my first post. Oh. Forced me so, to. Uh, but that was a short one. I was a trainee, so I only got to spend a year there. Uh, the, the irony was that Felicia and I, my wife and I, hmm. uh, you know, you make sometimes promises before you get married about how things are going to be. Yeah. And the only promise we made to ourselves was that somehow, some way, we'd live in Paris for a year. And, and so a year and a half later, uh, two years later, there we were. Oh. And we, we began to realize that what I really meant was uh, live in Paris for a year without having to work. Because that <laughs> ends up taking up all your time. Oh, anyway. my goodness. So uh, that was a real, a real privilege. God, and I yeah. wanted to come home and, uh, and write. And I wanted to write seriously. Plug away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you published uh, several novels. I mean, you won the Silver Medal in Fiction and been nominated for Book of the Year by the Ford Review, plus you won a coveted Starred Review from Publishers Weekly. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean... It, it's really gratifying. Uh, you know, the people have really liked them. I, this was my dream since I was in fourth grade, uh, was to be a writer. 
And mm. so to be able to do that and then have people really think they're good, that, that's terrifically gratifying. Oh, cool. uh, I only wish sales were better. <laughs> we uh, what's your top seller? Uh, probably a book called Tangier. That was the first mm. one I published. And uh, I was based in Rabat when I was in Morocco. But we used to go up to Tangier fairly often. And I would tell people... And then I, I realized, why didn't I just put it in the book? It was actually one of the last editions I had of the book. I stuck it in about page 10. That uh, Casablanca, uh, the real city, is nothing like Casablanca in the movie. Oh. But, yeah. but Tangier is. Huh. Uh, you can still get yourself in a lot of trouble in Tangier. It's oh. a big hurry. Uh, it's, it's still kind of a seedy, uh, in, intrigue-filled place. And mm. uh, I was trying to bring that across. It's kind of a two-part story. I hope I'm not boring people. No. In one, uh, a guy uh, who's in his 50s, he's been caught up in a scandal in Washington, lost his position. He's kind of a bitter man. And he never knew his father. His father was a Frenchman. Uh, he and his mother had been evacuated to the United States before, uh, after the war started. So he never knew his father, who apparently died in a uh, French prison because of his opposition to the Nazis. And now, 50 years later, it turns out that his mother has just received a long-delayed letter showing that he was in Tangier when they thought he was in prison. And he's in a lot of trouble in Tangier that he doesn't specify. So this guy's 80-year-old mother browbeats him into going to Tangier to see if he can find his father. Uh, you know, he's not all sure he can. And then in uh, alternating sections, we follow the father and how he came to Tangier and fell in with a nest of spies, or a lot of spies in Tangier in World War II, because the city didn't belong to anybody. It wasn't part of Morocco. The French didn't own it. The Spanish didn't own it. Nobody owned it. It was a free city. And so it's full of, and it's in a strategic location, right on the Straits of Gibraltar. So there were lots of spies there, because you're not breaking anybody's laws. Uh, and I actually got to know uh, a guy in his 90s who had been a spy in Tangier with the OSS during the World War World War II, uh, OSS being the precursor to the CIA. And he was full of stories. So he, was, he was great fun, and I actually was able to fit one or two of the stories into, the, into my book. So uh, it was uh, enjoyable to write, enjoyable to do a little research, and enjoyable to revisit my memories of being in, in Tangier. Gee, it's almost like uh, Ian Fleming. Almost sound kind of like with your, you know, military ex political experience, right? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. And uh, in fact, he told me a story about a British spy. You know, Ian Fleming had lived with uh, British intelligence, mm -hmm. naval intelligence, or World War II. And uh, this guy, his name is Gordon Sand, uh, told me about a British spy who was a homicidal maniac, and huh. he would invite. You, you know, you you knew who the spies were on the other side, or you knew most of them. You other were, but it was kind of an agreement to, uh, he was telling me, uh, Gordon was telling me, because uh, if you start killing each other, one, it just asks for retribution to get yourself killed, okay. and two, okay. it was easier when you knew who the other guy's spies were. If you killed one of them, huh. you'd be replaced by somebody you wouldn't know somebody oh. for months. So they'd be like, yeah, you'd be able to still act within the system within reason. Yeah. I guess. Wow, that's interesting. It was kind of a gentleman's agreement huh. with them, and this, this British guy would invite, you know, an Italian and a German over. He'd poison them, kill them dead, and it was making all kinds of problems. As you can imagine, this almost sounds like a comedy. Yeah. And Gordon got a hold of British intelligence and said, you've got to get 
That's funny. That's crazy that he's like this berserker. It's like that in this kind of world of danger. It's like, well, no, this guy's too much. He's a loose cannon. Or <laughs> it's just kind of yeah. wild, huh? Yeah. And, wow. And so he got the guy uh, evacuated out of there and sent back to London. Years later, Gordon retired to uh, Tangier because it's a, a very agreeable place to live. He's walking down the street with his wife, mm-hmm. and he runs into this same British spy. Mm-hmm. And come back to Tangier too, and. and Inspired by, I for sure. I learned about this extraordinary place. Right, what you know, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I did one uh, on uh, Sri Lanka, uh, where we spent a couple of years. Is that one called Sri Lanka, or no? What's the one called? Yeah, that's called oh, Sri Lanka. Okay. <laughs> They're just place names. I see, I see the, <laughs> I see the system now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I followed it up with uh, a one called uh, To Live and Die in a Floating World, a little longer title. Mm. The love triangle, not the murder, or what part did you leave out or change? Uh, I, well, actually, I started it out thinking, okay, I'll, I'll have this, uh, uh, 
and his crew member get murdered for going up to his room. And then our, our main character, who's another crew member, just arrived, as I had just arrived on the boat, then he'll fall in with her. Uh, now, how stupid could this guy be? He's just seen one of his colleagues murdered for fooling around with her. He can't be that stupid. And so I wrote that part out real fast. Mm. And I just have her, I, I have them getting into this mutual crush, which uh, uh, puts them both in danger. Okay. Yeah, sexual tension, yeah. but he does, they don't act on it, but there's the danger of what happened in reality. Oh, I don't want to give it all away. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Act. You have to buy the book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's called uh, To Live and Die in the Floating World. Wow. And again, it was fun to revisit that time on the boat and remember what that was like. People ask me if I do research, and mostly what I do is get out my old photo albums, and I flip through the pages, and it all starts coming back to you, mm. not just what happened, but trying to bring that across and in each of them you know the, the main characters in some places some ways the, the place uh, I tried to write stories that wouldn't happen somewhere else hmm. you know uh, Tangier well I'd have to describe it that could only happen in Tangier Madagascar hmm. for sure could only happen in Madagascar hmm. God, I love all this um so I mean, I mean I see comedy I see espionage I see danger I see it almost yeah. kind of feels like a the White Lotus, almost in a way. Like, have you ever made uh, screenplays of any of these, or any aspirations for that? Because uh, these would be great series. And I kind of show them to show them to him. I said, "What do you think? Uh, you want to work on this together?" But yeah. uh, it never seems to work out. And wow. that's okay. Although oddly enough, I, I write in a very visual way, okay. and so people say, oh, "Gosh, they seem like movies." But you yeah. know, there's probably not going to be a big audience for a movie set in Madagascar or Sri Lanka. Uh, yeah, it's just strange for people. All the Bond uh, films and Mission Impossible blew up recently again with that, uh, part, what, seven or something like that? And something like that, yeah. And uh, I haven't, I haven't seen, you might have to change this, the title or alter it slightly because there's that, um, I haven't seen it, but I have a, I have a nephew, a little child nephew who watches uh, Madagascar that animated, there's like that, you know, yeah. Pixar yeah. or Disney animated film. So you yeah. might have to slightly yeah, change I the title to make a book of it. it. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> I understand that these are animals let loose when a, a, mm. a ship taking them to the zoo where it crashes. Oh, that's good. Okay, yeah. But it's a, it's a fascinating place. There's, there's no place like it. Huh. Uh, and, and they have what we think are very peculiar customs, but then again, they think we're really peculiar, too. Uh, They're probably right. Instance, <laughs> <laughs> no, they are right. Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> superstitious there and wow and huh did anything happen where yeah. people did it seem like well, it was possibly real at all did anything occur oh yeah a lot of them, a lot of them really believed this yeah and and so what we did and you don't tell washington uh you know that you're having religious figures come in and do a blessing of the, <laughs> uh, of the uh, remodeling but what we were but really you do yeah 
exorcism. It was an exorcism. And we had a Catholic priest and a Methodist minister come out, and they've got the incense and the prayers, and boy, did they spend a lot of time on that door. Huh. Uh, A lot. So they probably made a real show of it just so everyone saw it and heard about it and talked about it, right? Just so exactly. people would be comfortable. Wow. Exactly, yeah. That is yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't even fit a lot of that into the book and make it part of the plot. Like I, 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 yeah, like I visited my grandma's grave uh, recently. I, you know, I talked to her, and then and my uncle was next to her, you know, in the grave next to her. And like, uh, but yeah, I mean, my grandma at times was judgmental, but I didn't. It's funny how people, different customs are different, different cultures are different. Cause like I didn't, I didn't dwell on, you know, her uh, being judgmental like that. I just kind of talked to her and being supportive. It's almost like you know, you're talking to yourself, or you're talking to them. You know, so it's huh. That's interesting. Well, that. You also don't feel that quite literally the spirit of your ancestors is on your shoulder, looking over your shoulder, yeah. and judging you every minute of the day. I mean, we just, we don't believe that, you know. Hmm. But they do. Like, almost like a, like a boogeyman or something, like, to keep you in line with what you should be doing, kind of, or what? Yeah, I'm not uh, sure boogeyman is the right term, although hmm. it comes kind of close to that, but yes, they're yep. trying to keep you in line, making yeah. sure that you follow tradition. Tradition, huh. boy, we think we've got traditions. We are nothing like them. Uh, for instance, we had uh, our uh, uh, development agency, which is you know, to help other countries uh, you know, that are developing to improve their economy. And they brought in a strain of rice. Their, uh, their main staple there is rice, and they grow a particular kind of rice, where they keep on having to burn down the forests to make new rice paddies, because uh, this particular brand of rice will exhaust the soil in just a couple of years. And so we brought one in that would have much higher yields and that you could use them every year for years. And, and they said, oh, this is wonderful. This is really terrific. But we can't do this. And, and our AID guy, Agency for International Development, our AID guy said, but, but why not? Yeah. Well, our ancestors grew this kind of rice, so we must grow this huh. kind of rice. Wow. And they knew it was a better idea, but they can't do it. I mean, I'm sure there are a few who would change huh. most would not. You gotta respect that in a way. I mean, even that's not good uh, business. <laughs> but I mean, uh, wow. Huh. Yeah, unfortunately, they're they're destroying their environment this way. Uh, 
Uh, in Madagascar, probably the last place in the world to have uh, its own population. People probably came there, I think, in about 500 AD. And, and they're really essentially destroying their environment already, which is, should be a big warning to us. Even if we do it slightly slower, it can happen, man. It's kind of, yeah, it's like they say, um, what the expressions, you probably know it's from, where they say, you don't, you never truly, a person never dies until the last person forgets them, and well, there, that's uh, never going to happen. If they're over, always I, over your shoulder, you're not even, even business-wise, you're keeping those fields. They always just, will oh. be remembered, yeah. Yeah. Exactly I mean, they're all vaguely aware of it. Oh, it's a funny thing, I, I was saying to a Malagasy friend, I said, well, you, you know, the tomb must get full after a while, what do you do? He said, oh, we just take the oldest bones and throw them in the creek. <laughs> really? Is he joking so or no? After all those years of remembrance, Whoa. Be, they, they just toss your bones in the river and let it go. So, funny thing. But yes, that, that phrase is, uh, is, is an interesting one. And I hadn't really thought, and in some ways it doesn't apply to Madagascar because you're always remembered, at least. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I take all this home with me. And I felt it, it may sound strange. But I felt an obligation to share what I had learned. And so the novels, to a great degree, are that attempt of mine to, to share with people what, what they paid me to do. Hmm. Uh, you know, they paid me to go overseas and learn all this. And so I felt kind of an obligation to, to share what I had learned. And I said, here's what I learned with all those privileges you gave me. Hmm. You got so many great stories from it. Not just uh, oh, yeah, life stories, yeah, but what yeah. you could put in a writing. So that's so cool. And, uh, yeah, I'm a storyteller. I'll, I'll go on all day just telling you one story after another. But, you know, you go to these places where fantastical things happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a fascinating place. We were always in ill health, though. It's also a very unhealthy place. Oh, you're, you're always sick over there? Like, what, just from uh, the food or the environment or what? Uh, mostly, yeah, you, you might drink something or you eat hmm. something. And weighed about 145 pounds. Huh. Uh, and so that was no fun. Uh, mm. and, and so I got over it. They gave me some medicine finally to get over the amoebas. But I, I never was able to put the weight back on as long as I was there. I came home and just started eating everything in sight. And I put on 23 pounds in two months. I was having a great time. Oh. Back in, in Washington, D.C.? Or where were you back? In Oregon? or? Yeah, well, I went back to D.C. Um, yeah. After Madagascar... Uh, they taught me Arabic uh, before going to uh, Morocco. Wow. I spent ten months. Oh yeah, and, and I was. You sure you weren't a spy? You really you weren't a spy because you you had such a <laughs> life. Jeez. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like are you a spy? Are you a, an immortal with all these all this life experience or both? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know I, I knew some of those folks uh, at the embassies, but you know, I never hmm. and some of them were real friends, but I never asked them what they did. I had a fake notion. Oh, yeah, they probably can't say, oh, wow. Well, they could have shared some of it with Is me, there a general code? Awkward. Is there ever a general code for what they say? Like, I'm a photographer. A lot of them say there's a certain thing that you kind of know. Uh, I don't want to get too much oh, into it. Yeah, but, you don't get in trouble. Uh, yeah, they don't get me in trouble. Friends, <laughs> I, never, I never wanted to know what they were doing. Mm. So it just remained a friendship. Oh, okay. And, uh, and some of them were real good friends, but I, I never asked. I never wanted to know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I always tell people, well, somebody's got to do the real work. Uh, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I thought it was the most interesting job in the embassy, you know, to work with the press and work with the 
I'm from Oregon, I'm from Tiger. And I was a little homesick, believe it or not, the whole time. Even when we were living in Paris, I was oh, a yeah. homesick. So well, I was happy to come home. It's great to be home. Hmm. I feel like uh, you had a little bit the hero's journey, you know, that Joseph Campbell talks about, that you go out as a young man and you learn all this stuff and you have these great epiphanies and then you come back home a changed person. Yeah, you went on your own odyssey, you know? <laughs> in a sense, yeah. <laughs> And Felicia never slapped you with a fish, like uh, she said in the phone call? No? <laughs> All these I years? would have been lucky on that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, she, she took it as a trooper, usually worked for the embassy herself. Um, but we were all ready to come home. A lot of colleagues, of course, will, will stay and uh, will make an even longer career out of it. But 20 years, that, that was plenty, and I wanted to go home. And so did Felicia. She hmm. wanted to go back to her profession. about Portland uh, you served as an overseas correspondent for Portland Radio so when was that? Oh yeah Where does that fall in line with um, when you managed two political campaigns? I know you did that. Yeah, it's so 
computer major, then I fell in with bad companions and ended up a diplomat. <laughs> It's one of the first lessons in improv, which you studied improv too, like the, the yes and, the not, not shutting it off, you know, yeah. rolling with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will go through with this. Yeah. And Maybe your ancestors were over your shoulders protecting you. positive test had been a false positive I was okay but there for a couple of weeks it was kind of tense I, I wondered you know. 
Just like amoebas and stuff you're not used to in your system, or? Mm -hmm. yep. huh. Even to this day, or...? I suspect that hasn't changed a whole bunch. Hmm. That's fascinating. But again, you know, maybe it's the second generation, but... Yeah, uh, well, maybe as well be, might as well be the first, or even, like, three steps back with uh, technology, all the distractions, you know, and... I'm sure there's smartphones they, over there. They, they leap into things, you know. Uh, like, cell phones were much more common overseas in, in developing countries than they were here for a while. Hmm. Uh, So it's a race so to get it, like, why not? Just a godsend to them. Oh. And they adapted them, adopted them uh, much more quickly than we did right at first. Huh. So, so, yeah, it's a funny thing. You know, they, they get to buy powerful cars straight off, you know, uh, oh, yeah. which is part of the problem. And the better the roads, the more dangerous it gets. I mean, if you're only going 20 miles an hour, you're probably not going to manage to kill yourself or somebody else. But if you're driving 60 and you're not paying attention, yeah, a lot of people come to die. You also headed up an environmental group with the City Club of Portland, working with Climate Reality. Um, what are some, I mean, probably many things, but we need to do to lessen the harshness of climate change, in your opinion, or maybe if it's not too late yeah, at this uh, point? Yeah, those are somewhat <laughs> different things. Uh, City Club was very active. I mm. headed up a little mm -hmm. subgroup they had on the environment, but uh, they uh, folded that and a lot of things off, and mm. so I started working with Climate Reality after that. You know, the simplest thing to say is we've got to get the carbon. Letting them know, hey, you've got the political cover to make tough decisions. We will support. 
So there's still a uh, world to save. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, this is what you do to make a better world for the people that come after you. And, and we've got to hurry. We, we, we can't be sitting here thinking, well, is this the way to do it? Do we really need to do this? And don't listen to the people who say this isn't a problem. Uh, read the science. It's yeah, it's crazy how, like, we're still dealing with it so much. Cause I remember when I was a kid, and, you know, I'm still pretty young, but I'm not a spring chicken. I remember as a kid, like, on, like, you know, they used to have little public surface messages at the end of cartoons like G.I. Joe and I think even He-Man and stuff like that and Captain Planet, you know, where make sure you turn off the light when you leave the room, kids, and stuff like that. And make sure the water's not running, you know, that the sink's not dripping, and it just seems so crazy we're still having these... Yeah, and these are tiny yeah. measures to take, but, you know, one thing they do is they instill a certain frame of mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not turning off this light because if I leave the light on, the world's going to end. But I'm turning off this light to remind me mm -hmm. uh, that this is a serious issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just get into bad, uh, good, well, you all get into bad habits, too. Somebody said a bad habit is just as easy to get into as a good one. Oh, um, easier, and conversely, yeah. a good habit is just as easy to get into as a bad one. <laughs> I'm glad, that, I'm glad electric vehicles are more popular than ever before. I remember there was that Who Killed the Electric Car documentary a while ago, and I remember when they were first kind of coming out looking kind of cool and futuristic, and then all of a sudden they were gone, and now, you know, yeah. Yeah, uh, we've got one. We've got a Chevy Bolt. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, cool. Bolt with a B as a boy. It's great fun to drive, yeah. and it really appeals to the 18-year-old in you. Uh, the one thing they warn you about when you buy the car is if you're used to flooring you know, the accelerator when the light turns red, you've got to knock that off because this thing will accelerate like a rocket. Wow, yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah, the torque is so... <laughs> I shouldn't be talking like this. Right. The torque is, <laughs> is so big when you floor it that the car will actually hop around left and right in your lane. Uh, you've got to constantly adjust as you're flooring it because it, it's jumping all over the lane on you. Huh. Uh, but also, you know, the range on them is so much better than it used to be. Uh, it depends on the on the weather, but in summer, uh, we can go about 300 miles before wow. we need to charge. And, and the chargers are faster than they used to be. Uh, and, and so it's, you know, unless you're taking a long trip, you don't really need to use a charger most of the time. You know, when you 
Yeah. And even even yeah. so, there's the hybrids. I mean, so there's almost no excuse to not have at least a hybrid, if not electric. You yeah. know, when you're in your next vehicle. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, we for might sure. want to plug in hybrid, which have a lot to say for them. But yeah. there was this huge sale on the bolt, so we got that instead. Yeah. But we just plug it into the uh, wall socket in the garage. Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. You don't need a special charger. Oh. And uh, and it's great, you know. Uh, and the estimates are that these uh, batteries will probably last a couple hundred thousand miles. Uh, and and you replace it, you know. It, That's so you're not spending money on yeah, you're not spending money on gas. Yeah. charging stations than ever before in places. You know, I feel like every grocery yeah. store and mall has them, it seems like. So, yeah. yeah. And they're faster chargers than they used to be. Mm. Uh, you can get what they call a level two charger, and you get about 25 miles of range back for every hour you're plugged in. But more and more, they are fast chargers. And in an hour, you know, you go, taking a trip, you go in, what we do is uh, heading down to Ashland, we'll stop at Roseburg, have lunch, and the car is plugged into a fast charger, and in an hour, it'll get about 100 miles of range back. I wonder if they'll make... You know, we haven't had to stop. Yeah, I don't care what the price of gas is to a great extent. Yeah. Except when we rented a car or, you know, oh, I, yeah. I drive a friend to the hospital now and again. Uh, we don't care what the price of gas is. We haven't gotten into a gas station in four years. Oh. So there's that to be said for it, too. See, it's a VIP feel, too. <laughs> so a little perk of <laughs> saving the environment, you know? Huh? Yeah. Or doing so your part to save the environment. Yeah. next level is after that if, 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 if electrical will be the most efficient vehicle i remember as a kid i envisioned like uh having some sort of wind-up car like some sort of super super yeah. piston winding up you know <laughs> uh, the next step is hydrogen oh uh, yeah work in theory or totally uh, yeah, right? you uh, I get hmm. the, the trick is to make sure that the, as you're creating hydrogen mm -hmm. that you're not using up more energy than you get out of it mm -hmm. and they're still working on that they're, they are starting to break even on that and hmm. uh, in the hydrogen car uh, your your emission is water you know a little bit of a little bit of uh, water vapor that's hmm. what you emit like, uh, like so hot steam coming out of a vent, maybe? Maybe vents coming out the back or something? I wonder. Yeah, I, I haven't seen one myself, but I know they are available. You can buy hydrogen cars. And oh, really? Charging. Yeah, there are some oh. charging stations in California. And, uh, and in Japan, uh, you know, they're, they're really concentrating on advancing hydrogen cars. Really wow. They are electric cars, because they know this is the next step. Uh, huh. So it would, you know, it would feel good that you're going around... Energy to make it and take yeah. energy to make the hydrogen, but overall, you know, uh, 
carbon footprint of what it takes to drive. I wonder, but do you know what would I? What would you have to buy to keep it running? Would you, or you just buy the car I, and it's good to go, or what? Because I wonder. I, I don't know hmm. enough about the hydrogen car. Yeah. Uh, I, I know they exist. I know Toyota hmm. makes a model. I think Nissan makes a model, but but mostly they're in Japan. Um, well, yeah, I'm probably yeah, going to Google that, but any fans out there, uh, hit me up on the Patreon or any of my sites, because I'm, I'm yeah. very curious about this. i got to check this out, Doc. One of the nice things about <laughs> the electric car, too, and the hydrogen car would be even more so, hmm. is how few moving parts there are. You, you only have a fraction of the moving parts you have in a hmm. regular car. So, you know, I don't have to worry about uh, getting a hole in the oil tank. There yeah. is no oil. Uh, there's yeah. no gas pump. There's no oil not pump. Not this breaking uh, down, not that breaking down, yeah. hope you know because I, I remember i've made this joke for a while like when i was a kid the future was like hoverboards and flying cars and now the future is like you know the apocalypse and which some people say we're in you know and if we're gonna the earth's just gonna be gone we're going to mars you know or something like that if we have to you know because geez yeah we can go yeah. mess up another planet yeah uh, oh god yeah <laughs> afraid to sure. look like, to research it because I'm like oh, I don't know you know what I mean you know I mean you could feel yeah, it the greenhouse effects I, I and tend not to yeah. read these uh, alarming tales I know the problem is really serious yeah and I'm working with local governments and, and things like that to get them to take uh, climate change more seriously I've worked with Beaverton Beaver School District on some things with uh, City of Tigers on some things with uh, Washington County on some things Someone's got to do I'm it. Thankful yeah. I can do it. I'm yeah. thankful I can do it. Yeah. Like I have this opportunity. Well, you're well-versed yeah, world traveler, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a strange life. I've really been very fortunate. So anything, any other goals on the horizon? Uh, the writing, or what? What's What's the next huge yeah, thing I'm for Steve Yeah, I'm just away right now on a story I've had in the back of my mind for literally mm. decades. Uh, about mm. a guy named Isaiah Dorman. He was a real person. Um, a black man who had gone out west. Uh, nobody's quite sure if he had escaped from slavery or he was freed at the end of the war, but he went out west, did various things in career <coughs> for the army, maybe a buffalo hunter, and uh, then he uh, lived with the Sioux for a number of years, had a Sioux wife. Uh, you know, everything we know about it, it fit into a long paragraph, so I 
Uh, he was a friend of uh, City Bulls. And then the next thing we know about him, he's serving as a scout for Custer to lead them to the Sioux and the Cheyenne. Oh. What, what in the world? Yeah. And so I have fun. You f you're filling in all the blanks. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to him. Is he in California or is he in? Uh, yeah. 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 Still in Malibu? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Was he working on anything? Well, it's this a big strike going on now. But was he? Is he working on? Was he working on anything recently? Or? Yeah. Yeah. He he has some projects. I mean, he can write. Yeah. You just can't turn it over to anybody. But that's okay. You're mm -hmm. a writer. You just write. And when the time mm -hmm. comes, you're ready to go. Yeah. yeah. You haven't thought about doing anything with him uh, with all your many, many, many stories, or not really? Or? Um, he writes comedy, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, and he's read a couple of my books, and I, I thought, yeah, maybe one of these days he'll, he'll want to work on something. In fact, okay. I gave him an idea the other day that I'm not sure I'm capable of writing, that what would happen if AI were programmed to do everything it could to save the environment? Ooh. So what it does is start killing off every human being. That's what I was going to jokingly say, yeah, because that's kind of what it's the odd. It's kind of the two plus two equals four thing to do. Oh, man. You're the problem. And uh, so, you know, mm. you've got this, this moral dilemma that, hey, maybe AI, AI is right. We should let ourselves get wiped out. But, you know, that's really not part of our DNA, you know. Yeah. So they need to stop it, uh, even though maybe for the planet it's doing the best thing it can. But anyway, so I, I, yeah. I said that to Brent and said, you know, yeah, maybe you want to do this. 
there's something there. Oh, yeah, you... Yeah. <laughs> huh. Anyway, so yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm full of ideas. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. And how is your podcast going? Oh, it's going great. Getting a lot of uh, cool people and stuff. Um, oh, that's great. I'm thinking I was more outside the box with uh, the, the writers and actor strikes, so, and there's uh, only, I think only one that I've been sitting on, but other than that, I've been posting them all in the right order and everything just making it clear that for certain uh guests that uh, was definitely filmed before the writer's strike <laughs> so, but yeah it's going super great i'm doing i'm touring las vegas i'm going on the 22nd so we're, uh, we're touring there with it so it's going well enough for that um i'm like i'm video on video right now but usually uh that's just audio the podcast itself but um we have a youtube companion show that on average comes out like two three weeks later so you know, pre-approved oh, wow. stuff uh, from the guest with like slideshow pictures or what have you. Oh, that's awesome. See, I, I I was doing some as a writer, but I, I didn't see it was giving me a big boost, uh, and I can't remember the name under which. I mean, I, it was Stephen Holgate, you know, with a PH, mm-hmm. and uh, I did some YouTube stuff, and and I was kind of having fun getting the response, but I I I wasn't adding a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's a literary thing, and maybe I. I No, I'm digging it. Yeah, and I, I, I want, we chose to do this um, audio-wise, uh, not in studio, because then we get, um, we took, <laughs> well, I maybe I shouldn't say this one, because other podcasts might jump on this uh, this technique, but you get more guests, you get a higher yield of yeses um, from people when they know that they, they can just, you know, it's via phone call, you know, for the initial sure. podcast, because they're like, oh, I can do my pajamas, I can, you know, I don't have to like, do makeup or hair or whatever, you know, depending on the person, yeah, you know, so uh, it's like, oh, cool. I was joking with you, I sent you a message yeah, on yeah. Uh, Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, oh, people are going to be last minute so, and everything, yeah, so. So have I given you what you need? Yeah, you've done super, and I've taken up enough of your time, so I thank you so much, Stephen Holgate, for everything you do, educating and entertaining us, you know. Well, it's, it's, it's my pleasure, Kevin, it's, very, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, thank it was. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Yeah, it was great, well, it was great meeting you all those uh, years ago, well, uh, not years and years ago, but uh, years ago, on Librarians, oh, and. Five years. Yeah, we yeah connected on Facebook like right after and yeah. yeah. It's well, all good. Thanks, friend of me. Yeah, friend of the show. We actually run into each other again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm in a play actually. Ooh, yeah. Um, Plug the play. It's, it's an unpublished thing called Futura. Uh, we're doing it at the Key Coffee Shop um, in Beaverton, and it's it's interesting. It's a play of ideas. It's a little like uh, Fahrenheit 451. Ooh. Uh, Yeah. Uh, do you remember the dates for anyone who wants to? I mean, that's you give them yeah, some information. It is the uh, last uh, weekend in September, mm-hmm. which let me look at the calendar here really fast. Is twenty ninth, thirtieth, and thirty first. Uh, three performances at uh, seven o'clock, seven thirty, I should say. At, or maybe it's seven. <laughs> I hope I show up at the right. <laughs> into that get your tickets yeah yeah and uh, it's good to uh, I'll send you a little something good to order ahead of time we've only got 20 seats oh okay and, uh, so, uh, so there should still be some available at the door yeah. but I'm not quite sure so oh, okay well, yeah. thanks a lot Steve oh 
Okay, Kevin, you take care. You too. I'll be in touch. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. And we'll be right back after this brief message. This portion of that Kev One show is supported by Bohemian Dream Gifts, made with organic and natural oils that nourish and hydrate your skin. Man, I don't know if it's the weather outside or the gym that was killing my skin, because my right elbow on the, uh, it itched like the Dickens, like I was becoming like the lizard from Marvel Comics. Um, I think it's that machine where you put your elbow in and do the lifts, you know, for the bicep. But uh, I was itching my skin like crazy during, uh, well, I won't say who because I don't want them associated with rough skin with one of our guests <laughs> here in the near future here. <laughs> but my left, my right elbow was getting ashy and coming up, getting red and irritated. Anyway, I used some of the promotional cookie dough body oil from Bohemian Dream Gifts that they gave us. And my skin, I'm not kidding, came back. I can vouch for that one. The cookie dough oil baby body oil, the cookie dough body oil brought my skin back to life like an Evanescent song. I'm not kidding. My skin is smooth and happy again. 100%. You can buy cookie dough oil on Etsy at the Bohemian Dream Gifts shop. Check out their other stuff as well, but that's one that I that I swear by now. <laughs> and as soon as my promotional one runs out, I'm going to order some myself. So go to Etsy and visit the Bohemian Dream Gifts shop today. And now, back to the show. Thanks again to Steve Holgate. Check out his books. Check out his plays including the latest one in Beaverton this weekend. And to play us to climax, I warmly welcome with their addictive single, Loose Ends, Rip Room. <laughs> 